week number six of a nine-week series that we're doing called Summer on the Mount. And we call it Summer on the Mount because we're specifically looking at the first sermon that Jesus ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. For three days, 72 hours, Jesus preached uh, to the disciples and the, the listeners, and he provided great truth and revelation that is still incredibly applicable today. So I can give you some good news. This sermon won't last for three days. Can I get a witness? Come on. But there are some things that I want to unpack for you. This Sermon on the Mount can be found in the New Testament, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we know that it begins and ends there because of what we read in Matthew 5, verse 1 and 2. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And once he was there, he opened up his mouth and he began to teach. And then for the remaining three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, Jesus shared a lot of things. I'll show you a little bit of an outline of that. And then the sermon ended because in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says that when Jesus came down from the mountain. So again, summer on the mount is a biblical exegesis, if you will, of those three chapters. And in that 72-hour sermon, Jesus talked about a lot. This is just kind of the, uh, the high-level 30,000-foot view of some of the topics a lot that Jesus addressed. And while we don't have the entire manuscript of that sermon, here's some things that he shared. He talked about controlling our anger. He talked about overcoming lust. He talked about the challenges of divorce. He talked about worry and anxiety. He talked about real authentic faith. He talked about genuine salvation that is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. He talked about our responsibility to care for the widows and how we should love our enemies. Can I get an amen there? He showed us how we should treat people. We need, we need to hear that sermon again. He talked about the disciplines of prayer and fasting, and we'll have an emphasis on, on that on our 21 days that's starting this Saturday. And then he also talked about giving to those in need. Now, for the last few Sundays, my family and I have had a chance to take some time off. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a little bit more about that here in a moment. But the last few Sundays, our campus pastors, David Waldrop in Germantown, Pastor Ben Warwick here at South Metro, and then my father-in-law, my pastor, the Bishop Alan Matura, they all filled in and shared dynamic, powerful words from God. Can we just say thank you to those individuals? Come on, I think that's fantastic. Now, our, uh, our series will lead us today to look at Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to rest on verses 24 through 34. A lot that we could talk about today, but I think you'll see through some highlighted words and phrases the thing that I believe the Lord impressed on my heart a few months ago to share with you today. Let me read this to you, and then I want to pray for you. No one can serve two masters. Amen to that. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And here we go. You'll see the theme for today already. Therefore, I tell you, let's read these three words on the count of three collectively. Ready? One, two, three. Do not, can we do it again? One, two, three. Do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. So to that person that's already wondering about lunch, don't worry about it. Don't worry about, your, about what you're going to drink or what, what's going on with your body. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Jesus says, is not life more than food and the body much more than clothes? He says this in the 26th verse, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow and they don't reap and they don't store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. 
When God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, he didn't die for a bird. Can I get a witness from anybody? He died for you and for me. So we are much more valuable than the birds of the air. Verse 27, can any one of you by what? Worrying at a single hour to your life. And the answer to that is no. Hour only takes away, or worry rather only takes away. Worry never adds anything. Verse 28 says this, and why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow and they don't labor or spin. Verse 28 has been a, a theme verse in my family for the last week and a half because my wife keeps asking me for money for back to school clothes for the kids. Come on, somebody. I'm like, why do we have to worry about clothes? Can I get an amen? We'll, we'll get them something to wear, I'm sure of it. Verse 29, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, King Solomon, in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Verse 30, a few more verses. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Why do you have such little faith? So what? Do not, come on, do it again. One, two, three. Do not worry what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. For the pagans run after all of these things. And your heavenly father knows what you need. And I just want to tell somebody this before I jump into the whole message. God knows what you need. And God will give you what you need. You may not always get what you want, but he'll always give you what you need. Can somebody testify to that? Come on. He's an on-time God. And he takes care of your needs according to his riches and glory. And then verse 33, if you're into like Bible memorization or you're looking for a, a, a challenging scripture to hold on to, I would, I would encourage you to really solidify the truth found in verse 33. Jesus talks about the importance of priority. And he talks about seeking after the kingdom of God. And he talks about seeking after the righteousness of God. And then he talks about all of these other things that you're mind is worried about and anxious about and fretful about. He says, look, and this is such, such profound teaching, not just over 2,000 years ago, but today. He says, if you will seek first the kingdom of God, and if you'll seek first the righteousness of God, then all of those other things, and how many of you know by show of hands, there are other things. Come on, we're human, we got stuff. He says, all of those other things I'm going to take care of. And can I tell you from my own testimony, and if you look back on your own story, God is sovereign. God is faithful. Come on, church, help me preach for a minute. God is on time. God has never failed us, not once, and he's not going to start failing us now. He says, if you'll just seek me first, the kingdom of God first, and you pursue righteousness and all of those other things, I'm going to take care of it. One more verse here, and then I'll pray. Therefore, one, two, three, do not Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. And how many of you know this last line is true? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Today I want to talk to you about worry, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, thoughts of suicide. And I pray that God would bring you freedom for those of you walking through that deep, dark place that that doesn't have to be a normal way of life, that through Jesus, he wants to set you free. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stand on this platform, hold this microphone, and preach your words. I pray, God, that you would meet us here, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would begin to move even now as I share, and the transformational power of the Holy Spirit would be on display. 
God, I pray for open ears and open hearts. I pray that this word would be received because it is a need. I pray that you would anoint me from the top of my head to the sole of my feet, that every word of my mouth and every beat of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. I pray that scriptures that are shared and stories that are told, all of it is God orchestrated. And I'm not up here just trying to impress people, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would use this message to impact people. So I commit to you the next 35 minutes and I say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Do what only you can do and set us free. We pray all of these things in one name. It's the name of Jesus. Come on. And together the whole church said amen and amen. Come on, one more time. Let's give the Lord the best praise. Come on. Love it. Thank you, Joseph. So I was thinking about this in preparation. There are uh, a lot of songs that have been written about our desire to overcome worry. There have been a number of sayings that have been created and penned to help us to be encouraged to overcome worry. And then if you look at the Bible, there's a ton of scripture. The Bible is not, you know, lacking content around the struggles of worry and anxiety. Let's look at each of those for a minute. Let me give you, let me give you a couple songs. Is that all right? A few songs that you could be singing today to encourage you if you've got a troubled heart or an anxious heart. Here we go. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Help me out. Don't worry. Be happy. Look at somebody and say, don't worry. Be happy. Come on. How about this? In every life, we have some trouble. Now, I don't know who wrote this, but it was Jesus that said, in this life, you will have trouble, but you can take heart because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. How many know that this life is full of trouble? The writer of this song says, in every season, we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. When? Right now. All right. How about this one by uh, Bob Marley? Come on now. And, you know, Bob Marley didn't have a lot of troubles, you know, if, if you know. Some, some <laughs> Don't you worry about a thing. Because every little thing is going to be all right now. Y'all not going to help me today or what? Don't you worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right now. Come on, church. Don't act like you ain't never heard it. If it where are all of my Caribbean family at? Come on, from the islands, okay? Um, not only are there songs about, you know, overcoming worry, but there's some sayings. One of my favorite countries to visit, and I would highly encourage you to visit the country of Belize. You can do that off of tourism and seeing the beauty of the country, or annually we take a missions trip uh, to just encourage and support Children's Cup, which is a wonderful nonprofit, and about 100 children that we sponsor through the ministry of Go Church in the city of Orange Walk, Belize. Now, if you're from Belize and maybe other part of the Caribbean, there is a, a saying to encourage people uh, to not worry to have no stress, to, to not be weighed down by the weight of worry. So if you're from Belize, they would say it this way, everything straight, everything straight. Look at two or three people, tell them, say, everything straight. And it is, it means you don't have to stress about it, you don't have to fear about it, you don't have to panic about it. Everything is straight. And I would say if you've got the Caribbean blue waters to look at every morning, everything is straight. Can I get a witness from anybody? 
Now, most of you know that my, my beautiful wife, her father and his family, they come from Trinidad. Come on, anybody from Trinidad? We got some wonderful Trinis in the room. And so Kimberly is half Trini. My son is one-third Trini. And uh, that Trini blood really surfaces in the summer. I have to work on my tan. Come on now. It's natural for them. But, but, but those from Trinidad, when they want to encourage you not to stress, not to worry, not to panic, they'll say it this way. And I'm going to show it to you, and then I'll say it aloud. They'll say, don't hot your head. Now, maybe you're wondering what kind of language do they speak in Trinidad. It's English. It's English. But they say, don't hot your head. Now, now, in south of Atlanta dialect, we would say, don't hurt your head. Come on now. What they're saying is, don't hot your head, is don't worry so much that at the end of the day, you give yourself a headache. Don't be so weighed down by the weight of worry that you're hurting your head. Don't hot your head. Now, if you come from or your family comes from the east side or eastern side of Africa, and you're familiar with the language of, from Swahili, and there is a wonderful phrase, and that phrase is, akuna matata. Come on, church. <laughs> Say it back on three. One, two, three. Akuna matata. Ain't no passing craze. It's our problem-free philosophy. Bring out the lions. No, I'm just kidding. Akuna matata. Songs about overcoming worry, sayings about overcoming worry. And again, the Bible has a lot to say. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, Proverbs, the Bible says that anxiety weighs down the heart. You ever been there? Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night or woken up, you know, in the morning and already your, your heart is weighed down by anxiety? Let me tell you, anxiety is heavy. Weight is heavy. The worry is heavy. Panic is heavy. And so Solomon says that anxiety can weigh down the heart. If you go back to the writings of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi 2,000 plus years ago, look how applicable what he said then is now. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Well, those are two big A words, anxious and anything. I mean, I feel like we are anxious about everything. Uh, listen to me, I, I'm telling you, continue to use wisdom, continue to wash your hands. I mean, if you're 16 months into this pandemic and you still ain't washing your hands, you are the problem. Hello, come on. <laughs> but even with this second wave or whatever this Delta variant is, I'm not going to be anxious about it. I'll, I'll be wise, I'll be careful, but instead of allowing fear and panic to creep in, instead, whatever the situation, whether it's financial or uh, emotional or relational or school-related or work-related, or you fill in the blank, in every situation, instead of anxiety, I can petition the Lord with prayer. There's power in your prayers. That's why we work 21 days on the disciplines of prayer and fasting to show you that there is power in your prayer. And then when we go to God with prayer and when we go to God with petition, making our requests known, we don't go to him out of fear. We don't go to him with with that anxiety, we go to him with thanksgiving, knowing that the Bible says that God is using the earth as his footstool. Man, get this image in your head that God is using earth as a lazy boy recliner with his feet propped up. He's not fretting. He's not fearful. He's not anxious. God is sovereign, and he's got the whole world in his hands. Can I get 100 people? That would help me preach. Come on. 
And then, of course, our verse today in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, this is Jesus. Jesus says, I tell you, everything's straight. Jesus says, in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your worry and anxiety, Jesus says, listen to me, Jesus says, don't hot your head. Jesus said, akuna, matata. He says, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. If I'm going to take care, Jesus saying, of the birds of the air and the grass and flowers in the field, you best guarantee I will take care of you. And hasn't he done that before? So what causes worry? This is important that you, you find the root of your worry because, and you can write this note down, but it's important that you know what causes the worry in your life because if you don't know how you got there, you won't know how to get out. So there might be multiple factors and variables that are causing the worries and the anxiety and, and the stresses and the depression and the panic attacks and, and those fleeting thoughts of suicide. They're, but you got to identify what, what is the root of that so that you can, it's like, uh, like weeds in your yard. If you just cut the top of the weed, the root is still attached and it will resurface. But if you, I feel like preaching that, if you grab the root of that worry, come on now, and you pluck it from the ground, then you take victory and hold of it. So once you determine what causes the worry of your life, now you've developed a game plan on how to get out of the deep, dark place of de despair and depression that you might be in. Now, I'll show you some things that, that causes worry, but I could give you a million things. We could spend the next three days here together on, hey, somebody give me another, another factor or variable from worry, but let me give you six, okay? There's millions from A to Z, but let me give you six. Diet plays a big part on the anxiousness and the, the worry in our lives. Stress is a major player in worry. Can I get an amen on that one? I wasn't going to make you say amen about diet, but I was going to make you say amen about stress. Staring at our computer, being on social media, I about had it with social media. I'm telling you right now. Being locked indoors. Lack of sunlight. Of all the millions of reasons that we could worry, why do you think I showed you these six? Because this is the last 16 months. On a television screen, this is the last 16 months. March of 2020, a pandemic hit. And ever since then, the increase of worry and anxiety has become an epidemic. Our diets have changed. Our stress levels have changed. I get the social distancing. Like, I, I get that. But when we were told to stay indoors and we didn't get the sunlight that we needed, all of a sudden our joy was gone. Hope was gone. Faith was gone. And over the last 16 months, I mean, people... People are acting a fool right now. Come on, somebody. Like, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist on this. Like, I, I genuinely believe that COVID is a very real thing. We know a lot of people that have ceased to exist because of the loss of life through COVID. But at the same time, some of the requirements aren't, aren't helping us. They're protecting us from one disease while allowing or reinforcing another disease to creep in. And it's, there has to be a balance, but, and again, I just, you can Google this so that you don't think I'm making this up, but what we didn't know in March of 2020, we know now. 
that a lot of individuals that contract COVID-19 is because of a vitamin D deficiency. Well, where, where do you get vitamin D? Your body creates its own vitamin D. Where does it come from? The sun. Hello? Now, I, I got me a dose of vitamin D and vitamin C this summer. S-E-A. Come on, somebody. You got, you got to get outside. Uh, this whole message that I'm preaching today, well, 75% of this message that I'm preaching today, I wrote while I was outside. Because there's something about getting out of the darkness. There's something about getting into the light. And I'm talking physical and spiritual. There's something about shutting the laptop and getting off of Facebook. Come on, for a moment. And just seeing life for what it really is. And this is just, it's, it's such a very real thing. Use wisdom. Be careful. But this could be applied to any other challenge in your life. Get outside a little bit. Where are my parents at of kids that are living at home? Let me see your hands for a minute. You know, the, the days of playing outside aren't like they used to be. I remember, how many of you remember growing up and your parents would be like, go outside for how long? Till I call you back in. You know, now we, now, now we worry about a lot of things, you know. Now it's just iPads and tablets and kids going there. It's no wonder why worry and depression is attaching itself to this generation. It's because we're, again, we're keeping them locked up. We're keeping ourselves, we work at a cubicle for nine hours, ten hours a day, five, six days a week. You ain't got a window in your office. And I'll tell you this, if you don't like your office view, change job. A lot of people hiring right now. Come on, somebody. And it's no wonder, listen to me, it's no wonder that people feel depressed. It's no wonder people feel anxious. It's no wonder why people have panic attacks. It's no wonder why people are stressed. It's like they're living in a cave. It's a cave. I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story here about my life and even Kimberly. Um, let me say a couple of things in advance of telling you the story. Number one is I'm not telling you our journey because I'm looking for any, like, sob story or, like, some encouragement along the way. If you want to encourage me, I'm, that'd be great, but that's not the point of this, nor am I trying to tell you the story to validate my experience with, you know, just stress and panic and depression. My wife, and again, I'm up here, so I want to be very guarded because this is her story to tell, but my wife has worked really hard to fight against going into the cave of anxiety. Kimberly has worked incredibly hard, and I feel such emotion because I'm super proud of you, on how you have squared face-to-face -face with the enemy and you are victorious and not living in that cave of depression. I'm not one that ever really uh, experienced anxiety or depression or panic attacks in my whole life. So when someone, like my wife, and this is incredibly unfair, it's incredibly unwise, and it is highly immature of me, but whenever Kimberly would struggle with worry and anxiety and some panic, I would think and sometimes even say, you got to get over it. You know what I've learned? If you could just get over it, you would just get over it. So I never really experienced that, so I lacked a lot of compassion for individuals that sought encouragement or counseling or a good conversation because in my mind, I'm like, man, like you just got to get over it. And then March of 2020 hit. And the world shuts down. This pandemic sweeps 
from one end of the globe to the other. Simultaneous, it felt like with that, the release of the video of the killing of George Floyd. So now as a white pastor leading the spiritual direction of a beautifully diverse church, I felt a ton of stress, stress I'd never felt before. I was trying to say things and from both, all sides, black, white, Hispanic, you name it. I didn't say enough or I said way too much. And then all of a sudden, as if those two things weren't enough, you know, uh, we walked through the most polarizing presidential political election of our lifetimes, at least mine. And again, to pastor a beautifully diverse church uh, by way of politics, people are looking to me on why are you not endorsing this person and why aren't you unendorsing this person? And man, and then people just got mean, really mean. And you say amen, not because you know anything about what I walked through, but because you walked through it. Just people have lost their way. And in that journey, and, and if you're a leader of any kind, you know this to be true, but individuals can dehumanize leaders as if a leader doesn't have emotions or a leader doesn't have a family or a leader doesn't have a calling. Now, I look back. It's funny how hindsight leadership is always 2020. <laughs> but I look back and I remember trying to make certain decisions that would position us spiritually and collectively as the body of Christ to continue to advance the kingdom of God forward. Some decisions I made I'm very proud of, and some I, I didn't make the best decision, but I am human. But then from that, and the hateful emails came. The mean text messages came. I mean, people would call the church, and again, I'm not looking for any, hey, we love you, but this would be a really good time. <laughs> wow, crickets out there. It's probably because it was some of y'all that sent the text. But we're going to love you to life. Anyway, I, I, I woke up in the middle of the night about summertime last year with the most anxiety and the most fear and like this sense of depression. It was wild. I mean, it was absolutely wild. I didn't sleep well, I didn't eat well. I didn't want to get out of bed, and when I did get out of bed, I'd just go lay on the floor. Kimberly walked in one day, I'm, I'm in the fetal position, just crying. And I told her, and, and here, here's what you need to know too, like if, if you think different or less of me because I'm being honest and vulnerable, that's okay, but I'm not the only one that's walked this journey. So like I, I know a little bit about what I'm preaching today because I've been there, and I'm on the other side of it. And Kimberly would... Man, thank God for you. She'd get down on that ground and pray for me and encourage me. And I told her one time, and you know how you say things, you, you kind of mean them and you kind of don't, but I told her, I said, if I could find another job, I'm out. I didn't sign up for all this. I mean, I knew that we would pastor some crazy people, but we've dropped the Z. They just pray. <laughs> I'm crying. Well, I, just get me. I told her, I said, I'll go. I used to, you won't believe this, but I, I try not to lie to you. I used to work for waste management as a, as a garbage man. I said, I'd rather pick up trash 
than dealing with what we're dealing with. And let me tell you, all the single people, if you're single in the room or online in Germantown, slip up your hand real quick. All the single people, keep your hand up and just scan the audience real quick. Anybody there for you? Is there anyone there for you? Anyone there? Take a look around. Okay, hands down. <laughs> sir, sit down, sir. Put your shirt on. <laughs> but let me tell you, when, you are, when you're praying for your spouse, that man or woman of God, like, listen to me. You've got to be attracted to them. There should be a physical attraction. I mean, y'all, Kimberly can be, it's like, whoa, babe, I just got home from work, you know? You're like trying to kiss me. I wish it was that way. <laughs> Did you just say do a push-up? Is that what you said? <laughs> You've got to have some physical attraction. But let me tell you, beauty fades. We've been married going on 17 years. I didn't have all this gray hair when we first got married. And that moment where I felt like quitting, it had nothing to do with physical attraction. It had everything to do that I was married to a Holy Spirit-filled woman of God that knew how to touch heaven when I couldn't touch heaven. Does that make sense? Uh, you need somebody, you need a helper that when you can't get up, they will pick you up. What I didn't need in that moment is sort of like, you know what, you should quit. And, and then she's like, and by the way, you're a terrible father, you know? <laughs> Man. No, you need somebody to say, hey, when you can't pray, I know how to pray. When you can't sing, I know how to sing. When you can't stand, I'll stand for you. And in that, that moment for me where, in that season where Kimberly just came beside me and said, we're going to get out of this and we're going to get out of it together. And there were some lessons that I learned in that season. So for time's sake, let me move on. Now, in May of this year, so a couple of months ago, uh, one of my mentors, Chris Hodges from Church of the Highlands, wrote a book called Out of the Cave. Uh, full disclosure, I've not read the book, but I want to tell you to get the book. <laughs> he talks about, some of my friends told me, he talks about his journey in that season as well. And interestingly enough, the same word that God was speaking to him, similarly, God was speaking to me. So I've not yet read the book, but go get the book. Because when we walk through that weight and that worry and that depression and that despair, we feel like we're in this cave. And the cave is disorienting and the cave is overwhelmingly dark and the cave is a place where you feel like you can never get out of now here's what I heard the Lord share with me I'm gonna give you a few things here but let me give you a backstory in the Old Testament there was a prophet by the name of Elijah Elijah was a real man of God and Elijah had had enough of all of the the false worship that was happening. So Elijah in 1 Kings 18 said to the servant Obadiah to go get King Ahab and to get all of the 450 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of Asherah and meet Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel, the mountain of God, because they were going to have a Holy Ghost throwdown showdown. Come on, like he had had enough. So Ahab calls for all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah to meet Elijah on the top of the mountain. And Elijah says, and this context is important because it'll show you how from one moment you can be on top of the mountain to the very next moment the mountain can be on top of you. So Elijah goes to the top of the mountain and there 900 false prophets meet him and here's what he says. He says, 
Bring yourself a bull and cut it into pieces and lay it over the altar of sacrifice, but don't like the wood. Don't like the wood. He says, then you call on your God, Baal, and let's see if Baal will show up off of your prayers. So these false prophets, they begin to cry out, oh, Baal, oh, Baal, you better bail us out. Come on now, that's funny. Well, Elijah, after hours, the Bible says that they prayed from morning until about midday. Finally, Elijah had had enough, and he mocks them, and he says, maybe your God is relieving himself, meaning he's, you know, in the bathroom, a little boo-boo belly. Come on, somebody. And he says, enough is enough. He excuses the false prophets, and now he takes his cut-up bull and lays it on the unlit wood. And he says to those looking around, he said, dig me a trench around this altar of sacrifice. And they dug a trench around the altar. And then he says, bring me some buckets of water and fill up the trench with water and wet the wood. And then they do what he instructs. And then he says, now do it again and do it again. And they filled the trench with water three times and they wet the wood with three times. And then Elijah from the belly of his gut cried out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and asked God to meet them on the top of the mountain. And all of a sudden, watch this, then the fire of God fell. The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice and burned up the wood and burned up the stones and the soil. And, and I, love how, I love how God knows every single detail. He even licked up the water in the trench. When all of the people saw this, the Bible says they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, too late, seize the prophets. Don't let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon, and he slaughtered them there. In one moment, there was a victory like none other. God was exalted. The enemy was defeated. Come on, church. And God's power was put on display. One moment on top of the mountain. And then the very next verse takes us to the very next chapter. Watch this. Ahab told Jezebel. And there is a Jezebel spirit that's still moving across this nation. And everything that Elijah had done, Jezebel was told how he killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me. Be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah, think about this, Elijah who just faced down the false prophets and called down fire from heaven. Now he's afraid of a Jezebel spirit. He ran for his life. And the Bible says that when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there and he went on a few days journey into the wilderness and he came to a broom bush and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I don't know who I'm talking to, but that's somebody here. I've had enough, Lord. I know that day in my own life, I've had enough. I didn't sign up for all this. This is too much for me. It's too much for my family. It's too overwhelming. I've had enough. Just take my life says, I'm no better than anybody in my ancestry. And then watch, 
He lay down under a bush. She fell asleep. And at once, an angel of the Lord appeared to Elijah. And what did the angel say? Read it aloud on three. One, two, three. Get up. Do it again. One, two, three. Get up. And he looked around, and there by his head was, y'all don't know about a southern biscuit, do you? You don't know nothing about that. A buttery biscuit. Come on, somebody. You have your grandmama's homemade biscuit. It will do something to your soul. Can I get a witness? All of a sudden, there was cornbread from heaven. Come on now. And I know it says water, but if we're from the south, I believe it was a cup of glass of sweet tea. Come on. And he ate, and he drank, and what did he do? He laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a, goes into a cave, a dark place, a lonely place, a dry place, a scary place. He spent the night there, but watch this. But even in the cave, I speak this over your life right now, even in the cave of depression, even in the cave of worry, even in the cave of doubt, the word of the Lord came to him. Come on. The word of God will reach you wherever you are. Come on, church. And he said to him, he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Four things real fast and I'll pray for you. Here's the lessons I learned from that cave. You've got to practice the discipline of confession. If you're weighed down by worry, anxiety, panic attacks, stress, suicidal thoughts, who are you telling? Who are you talking to? You've got to confess, listen to me, you've got to confess not only what's going on, but where you really are. Uh, someone once said that confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. What's, what matters more to you? Your reputation or your desperation? Well, I don't want to say anything because I don't want people to think of me in a certain way. What? I want to be free. I want to get out. The enemy would love for you to be alone in your thoughts, but you got to confess. Uh, James 5, 16 says, Therefore confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. Is worry a sin? Maybe. James 4, 17 says that if you know the good you ought to do and choose not to do it, that's a sin. So if God says don't worry and you choose to worry, and I'm talking to JC as well, then I think that there are moments where our worry will overtake our worship and then we find ourselves trapped in sin. Confess. When you walked in today and, and I walked out on this stage, you saw me and you saw I wear glasses. I don't think any one of you thought, well, you know what, I, don't, I can't trust this guy. He's got glasses on. You didn't think anything of that. But what do the glasses tell you? That I can't see when they're off. I don't know who y'all are right now, but you look a lot better this way, I'll tell you that. But why is it that when we confess something's going on here, oh, all of a sudden, oh, okay, wait a minute. The eyes are no more a part of your body than your brain is. So confess and say, God, I, I need help. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm going through. I'm, I'm confessing this out loud because you can't keep that hidden in the dark. You need, watch this, you need accountability. You need people in your life that are encouraging you, picking you up, cheering you on. Listen to me. You need right relationships. 
you need counseling, and that's okay. Counseling is not a dirty word. Counseling is a gift from God to help you take that weight and put it on the shoulders of someone else to say, I need you to bear this burden. I need you to bear this load with me. You need three really good friends in your life. Three people that are not impressed by you. I told one of my three the other day, I was like, you know, here's a situation. And, and if I make this decision, then someone might say dot, dot, dot. And he said, JC, don't think that highly of yourself. People aren't talking about you as much as you think they're talking about you. I was like, oh no, you didn't. You need people that they're not impressed by you, but they love you deeply. People that you can be honest with, transparent with, confide in. People that you can go the last 10% with. Does that make sense? The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. So if you don't pause to sharpen the blade of your saw, eventually there's going to be issues. But who do you have in your life? It's one of the reasons we do small groups here so that we can try to give you a group of accountability, some real God-centered, Christ-caring community where you can talk and you can say, I'm in a cave. I'm in a cave and I feel alone. And it's amazing that when you begin to confess it, to the people that hold you accountable, you realize I'm not the only one that has been going through what I've been going through. Jesus, you need the voice of God. You know what? We got a lot of voices of influence right now. You got the voice of social media. You got the voice of mainstream media. Some of you, you've been listening to Fox News too much and CNN too much, good Lord. You've been listening to wrong voices and evil voices and now you're just hearing voices but you need the voice of God. One word from God will change your whole life. One word from God will give you strength. One word from God will give you hope. One word from God will give you joy. One word from God will turn the whole thing around. One word from God will heal your body. One word from God will heal your mind. One word from God will bring your lost children home. One word from God will turn your marriage around. One word from God will turn the business around. You need the voice of God. Elijah's in the cave. And the enemy would love to tell you, here, you'll never hear the voice of God. What? No, 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 what happens? Even in the cave, verse number nine of 1 Kings 19, the word of the Lord, the voice of God came to Elijah. And what did he say? Hakuna, Matata. I think he said that. What are you doing here? What are you worried about? He said, go stand on the mouth of the cave. He said, I'm about to pass by. Elijah gets out from the cave and he's standing at the mouth of the cave and all of a sudden, uh, this category five hurricane began to blow, but God wasn't in the wind. Then all of a sudden there was a, an earthquake that happened, a massive earthquake that began to shake the foundation of the mountain, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Then God consumed the mountain with fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And then verse number 12 says, and then a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. Some theologians say that a gentle whisper is actually translated as sheer silence. God showed up in the middle of nothing. Isn't that powerful? And then the final one is this, and I'll tell you this as we close. I went to college and earned a degree to give you revelation such as this. 
eat, sleep, repeat. I love how when Elijah is running for his life, from his life, he wanted to get away, wanted to take his life. What did he do? He took a nap. There's something profound and spiritual about a nap. Are you with me? He took a nap. And then the angel showed up. And you would think that if God sent an angel to encourage the prophet, there would be some revelation. But you know what the angel gave Elijah when he woke up from his nap? A Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit. I was gonna say to God's chicken, baby. Come on, somebody. They closed on Sunday, so figure what you're gonna do today. Him a Chick-fil-A biscuit. And then what did he do? He ate, and then he went back to sleep. And he woke up, and there was another biscuit. This whole teaching that we see in Elijah's process is a healthier cadence. It's just cadence. And listen, some of you, you're just, you're just out, of, out of rhythm. You have no true cadence to your life. So you're busier now than you've ever been. Uh, there's no margin in your schedule. Anytime that there's a, an open slot, you fill it up with something. Right? You don't, you don't, you don't Sabbath. You don't rest. You don't have a day of soul care. You're always trying to do something. You're always on the go. I got to be here. I got to be there. They depend on me. You know, if I don't show up, I got to work late. I got to go in early. And all the while, not only are important relationships suffering, but you're suffering. Go back to Genesis. God worked six days, and on the seventh day, he, because he taught us that Sabbath is not optional. Sabbath is oxygen. You gotta rest. I'll show you, I'll show you this, and I hope you're impressed with my drum playing abilities. You need a cadence. In Genesis, watch. Rest. Rest. Do you see that? I don't know why you're not clapping. That's amazing. I'm a little drummer boy up here. Some of y'all like. Life is out of balance. God says, Look, take six days, put your hands to the plow. But there better be one day. One day, I better put these down before I throw them. One day that you rest. Imagine taking a day of soul care. Listen to me, write this down. No technology, no work. You took a nap. You saved your favorite meals for that day. You ate better on the soul care day than any other day, whatever your favorite meal is. I'm gonna eat my best meal on my rest day. On this day, I'm gonna spend most of my time with my favorite people. Don't, listen, on your rest day, don't be around the people that drain you. Be around the people that uplift you. On this day, I'm going to do my favorite hobbies. On this day, I'm going to spend the most time with God. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be hard, but you don't have a rhythm. And so you work, 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 and you never rest. And then you wonder why you're just running out of gas and your faith is only fumes. Come on, church. 
Stop feeling guilty for the rest day, for the soul day. Carve it in there. And I promise you this, that you will see freedom on the other side. Confession, accountability, voice of God, eat, sleep, repeat. Write this final thought down. Worry, this is what I've learned. Worry won't take away any of today's problems, but here's what worry does. It always takes away today's peace. Two questions for you as we close. I'll let you write this down. Some of you are writing. Worry won't take away any of today's problems, but worry will take away today's peace. Can you imagine a life that's worry-free? Stress-free, depression-free, panic attack free, come on. That's the good life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, life to the full. So what's the one step that you can take today, right now, to remove some of the weight of worry? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me pray for you over time. Wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray. In fathomless billows of love. Oh, peace, give me peace, such wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray. In fathomless billows of love. God, I pray now that there would be a peace that would sweep over every heart and mind and that we would replace worry for worship and we would replace panic with peace. I pray that tonight would be the greatest night's sleep I pray that the stress when we walk out of this place would remain here and we would feel the weight lifted from our shoulders. That you would teach us about the discipline of confession. That you would give us right relationships so that we could have accountability, so that we could hear the voice of God and that you would give us the desire for a healthier cadence to life, a healthier rhythm. It all starts with saying yes to you, Jesus and trusting you at your word that we can take our burdens to the Lord and leave them there. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Come on and give Jesus the highest praise. Come on, church. To God be the glory. Thank you, Jesus.